All right, everybody, welcome to the Dry Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla, and I am here today with Miss Rachel Brady. You may know her as Shots to Shakes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So tell our users and our listeners a little bit about you. Yeah, totally. So I am, um, first and foremost, a woman in recovery. I like to really emphasize that just because without recovery and without kind of just learning how to um, apply recovery tactics in my everyday life, I really don't think I would be where I am today. So I owe it all to that. Um, I'm also a, I live in North Carolina currently. I'm originally from California. Um, My hobbies include, I feel like this is a Tinder profile. (laughs) (laughs) My hobbies include um, weightlifting, reading, writing. Uh, My whole Shots to Shakes Instagram is a lot about my musings about recovery and just everyday life and just kind of navigating through that. Um, I'm currently 27 years old, so I am a millennial in very alcohol-centric culture. Holla. Yeah, so I really do. Yeah, right. (laughs) So um, one thing I really like to bring to the table is just kind of the millennials perspective, especially because I started my alcohol journey in college where a lot of people do and the whole binge Mm. drinking glorification, all that stuff. um, It's so normalized and I feel like a lot of people are kind of sensitized to it. So I like to kind of bring a new perspective in terms of, Hey, um, not everyone drinks. And these are some things that I've noticed at least in my personal experience. So that's really like uh, what I like to do. Um, I'm also a huge mental health advocate and just kind of, learning how to normalize, you know, talking about mental wellness, um, even if you don't necessarily have diagnosis. So that's kind of my main jam in terms of my content. But um, yeah, I really do enjoy the virtual community, the in real life community, and just advocating for a dry life. 100% girl. (laughs) So I mean, I'm going to dive right into it. I know what you just mentioned, you know, a lot of your hobbies are Mm -hmm. I feel like not not super common for somebody who's 27. Mm-hmm. You know, they all are very productive, you know, self-improving hobbies. Is this something that you did or were those things that were part of your lifestyle when you were drinking? Um, yes and no. So I actually was a huge uh, fitness person even when I was drinking. Um, I mm-hmm. played varsity sports throughout col- or excuse me, high school. And so when I got to college, I actually really got into bodybuilding. Um, and that was at a time when fitspo slash fitness influencers weren't really a thing yet. Um, so it was yeah. kind of weird to see people like it was weird to see a woman lifting weights in the weight section. Like I remember I'd see like um, frat guys come and give me a look like, are you? Oh, you're, you're doing it. All right. (laughs) So um, I've always used fitness as a kind of stress relief slash escape. Um, but my drinking definitely got into the way with it. It got in the way of it. Like I would never be able to work out hungover. Um, my, obviously when you binge drink and you, you know, binge eat and all that stuff, it's a really weird game of catch up. Um, Mm -hmm. so my fitness goals weren't really being met. So I've always had that kind of self-improvement bug, I call it, where you just always are striving or you at least know that you can always, um, just strive to be the best version of you. But for such a long time, I didn't realize that the missing piece for me personally was cutting alcohol out of my life. And that was a huge, um, just aha moment, I guess, where I was thinking, okay, like, 
you know, I looked at my life and I was all, okay, I'm happy with these parts, not really happy with these parts. And I tried to look at the common denominator. And for a lot of it was my um, substance use and how just it bled into my relationships, my productivity, my self-esteem. So I always had this um, really big, uh, not obsession, but just fascination, I guess, with the whole self-improvement slash wellness world. But it took a really long time. And I think it takes a long time for a lot of people to kind of wake up and realize, oh, like, um, if you have an addictive habit, or maybe you don't have such a great relationship with alcohol, it can really jeopardize a lot of things. So that was a huge um, turning point, I guess you could say, in my self-improvement journey. Yeah, I mean, you and I are the same age. I think, you know, we've talked in the past, our, our stories are similar, that party girl identity. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. I was a varsity athlete. I actually got offers to play lacrosse in college. And now I look back and, you know, I kick myself. But at the time, my priority was like, I want to be able to go and party. You know, I yeah. want to have my free time. And as a varsity athlete, they own you. And not that not the college athletes don't party. They do. But, you know, your priorities are on a, on the athletics, which is where they should be. But absolutely. It's it's crazy how you can have, you know, a fitness lifestyle, you can have a holistic lifestyle, or let's say, you know, be a vegan, all of these things that um, I think our society kind of labels as like, oh, healthy, you know, yeah. like somebody who who's really fit, you're like, you must be healthy. Oh, you're vegan, you must be really healthy. Like, but yet, nobody's really factoring in, you know, whether they're drinking or not. And it's like, well, you know, kind of goes back to the last week's podcast of, you know, that are you really considered health and wellness if you're consuming alcohol? Because as I don't, I, I don't like to hate on people who drink. We mm-hmm. were, we were that, we were them, you know? Yeah. So there's no, there's no judgment, but it's kind of this idea of society is not allowing people to realize that there is no true health without mental health and without mental wellness. And you cannot achieve your, you know, peak cognition and mental health when you're consuming alcohol. That's that bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was a huge, I think a lot of people like they hear that and they get really defensive, but I think a lot of it comes from how, just like I said before, how normalized it is because exactly it's, it feels like almost like, I know maybe for you too, but for me, the, the idea of not drinking alcohol only stemmed from, Oh, well then if you don't drink alcohol, either your it's like your religious beliefs or you had a problem before, like very um, extreme kind of pigeonholed ways of thinking. And it was never like, oh, maybe this person doesn't drink just because they just don't drink <laughs> or they, there's so many different reasons. And I think that's something that a lot of people um, are very, like I said, defensive about because they see it so normalized and they think, well, shoot, like, you know, if Becky over here has a six pack and she still drinks wine, then, you know, why can't I? And it's a very individualized process, but I think um, thankfully now, like, Uh, I know that there's a lot of um, information going around about how alcohol is actually very detrimental to your health um, in terms of cancer, Mm -hmm. liver damage. It's getting publicized a lot more. So I think even if people are initially kind of on the on the fence about it, there's actually like cold, hard facts going out now saying, hey, you might just want to even if you don't quit for life, you just at least look at the facts and just consider 
you know, just consider it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get it. I think we get it of, of all people from going from that hardcore, you know, party lifestyle. And then you you think right away, like sober equals boring, like, oh, I'm not drinking anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to enjoy myself. I'm going to be this different person. People are going to look at me differently, but for me personally, over the last four years of being alcohol free, like I've, I've had plenty of enjoyable moments and weekends and I have fun all the time. And I'm not going to say that the fun is exactly the same, mm-hmm. but when you find, I think it's a shift, you know, mm-hmm. things, different things become enjoyable, different things become fun. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I did really notice, which I thought was great is, um, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I'd be curious to know, I, I found that my hypersensitivity levels to, um, just enjoyment, I think, of, of life were decreased. Like I used to have to be so stimulated to enjoy myself. Like I used to have to drink and do drugs and be at every party, at, like, you know, five days out of the week and just be constantly be part of something. Like if, if I wasn't doing something, I was missing out. Mm-hmm. And, now, and now this realization that I can just not go to anything if I don't want to and sit at home and read or, you know, work on something with the 1000 hours or do some homework and, and then just enjoy some quality time with my boyfriend later in the evening, I get just as much enjoyment and fulfillment out of that as I imagine somebody who's going out on a Friday night to the bar and drinking and people just cannot, cannot think that that's possible. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That was my huge thing, too. I was a huge um, FOMO person, especially because in high school, um, I was super sheltered. So I never went out. So I say a lot in my interviews, I kind of saw alcohol as like social currency where, you know, if I had access to parties and drinking and all that stuff, um, it was kind of like the holy grail for me. But even like, um, even now, I realized, you know, a lot of it was just kind of, it sounds so cliche, but just kind of just going with the crowd. And I realized like pretty early into sobriety, like, hey, I actually am a homebody, which is something totally. I never thought I'd say. <laughs> like probably 18-year-old Rachel's rolling her eyes right now, but it's so true. Like like you said, there's, there's I think a lot of people um, confuse being content with being boring or being bored. Just because yeah. we're so used to being, like you said, hypersensitive and just being like, okay, well, if I'm not high, drunk, caffeinated, whatever, then I'm not really living. Like, it's uh-huh. so not common to just to be able to sit with yourself and be at peace and be mindful. And I think that's a huge um, skill that anyone could learn, even if it's not, you know, quitting a substance, just to learn how to sit with yourself and not rely on outside validation or outside stimulus to, you know kind of consider yourself worth and it's it's so hard and and I think people are hesitant and they totally have a reason to be like I mean I know this past round of 1000 hours dry I personally decided that instead of giving up something I was going to meditate for the 42 days so I think we're on day you know I don't even know what day it is I've been traveling (laughs) Uh, you know what I mean like I think today's day what June today's June 18th 18th, so okay so we're on on day 18 yes right (laughs) yes of of and and honestly I've I've actually meditated every single day like I I'm I'm like you like when I say I'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. um and I made that commitment to myself and I made that commitment to our community Mm -hmm. and it 
there's a reason that I've been putting it off. You know, meditation is not this simple, oh, you know, I'm going to sit down and things are going to be quiet and I'm going to learn how to not think. It's like, no, 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 no. You're going to learn how to let every intrusive negative thought come to the surface mm-hmm. and let it pass. Yeah. So you're sitting there for 10 minutes and just letting all of these icky, icky thoughts come to the surface. Everything you're fearful of, everything that's bothering you and giving you anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then you're just learning, you know what? Like, this is a future fear that's probably not even true. Or this is a fear-based emotion that is inaccurate and is coming from anxiety. It's not coming from a true place. Yes. And, and it's so difficult. But in the last 18 days, I've realized, holy, holy shit. Like, <laughs> This is, you know, thinking is a habit. Like it's people, people don't think of it like that, literally, Mm -hmm. but learning how to think positively is, is a really hard habit. I think everybody is kind of naturally more negative Mm -hmm. from from the, from the get go. And so, you know, when you're, especially quitting drinking at the beginning, you're, you're so negative to yourself. Like, is this the right decision? I'm going to be missing out. What if, you know, what if this happens? What if, you, you know what if land oh like, yeah that's where, where you go yeah oh my god <laughs> and I mean I would recommend meditating to to everybody but especially to people in early recovery because you you get to sit there and think about all those what ifs and then you get to finish the tape and be like well what if okay I don't go to the party and then I miss out oh wait I'm not really missing out on anything because it's a house party and they're going to listen to the same music they always do. Yeah. The same people. And, and you really think about it and you're like, okay, not a big deal. Yes. And I think that's a huge thing too, that like, I always tell people in early sobriety where it's like, you are going to feel a million things, but your feelings in themselves are not going to kill you. It's how you choose to act on those feelings. Because I was the same way where I would have, cause I have, I have diagnosed anxiety and depression. So my mind is like yeah. a little clusterfuck. So like, I have to be even more conscientious of, you know, observing my thoughts and where they're spiraling and be like, okay, like I'm, I'm a huge believer in your thoughts are not you. They're just, they're separate. Um, they Completely. can create your, they can create reality, all that good stuff, but you are more than allowed to just observe them and not act on them. So yeah, I completely like, even when I was in treatment, we did uh, meditation every Friday and it was my favorite part of the whole treatment just because it literally was a bunch of people trying to get well, just lying on the floor. Um, Our counselor had this super like ASMR, very calming voice and she got us through. And it was just one of those moments where we all just had to like, we had no choice, but to just lie there with ourselves. And when you yep. take something like alcohol or any kind of drug really, and like you become addicted to the escape, it's not even being addicted to the substance per se, it's being addicted to the escape. So yes. yeah, mindfulness is like anyone who is learning how to quit drinking or whatever, like they're going to hear the word mindfulness a billion times, I bet, but it's for a reason. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and it, I get it. It's like, you know, when you talk about yoga for the first time, or you talk about, you know, green juice and all these things that are like, oh, for hippies or for people from California, like, I know. and like, you know, okay, get it. I'm in California. You're from California. So like, yeah, maybe, that's normal. maybe it is a California thing, but like it works. Okay. Yeah. So exactly. and it, it's, it's exactly what you said about the, the thought process, because I too, like I have, I have, oh, 
One second, I got a little girl squad running over here. The, oh, you're the good. Future, the, f- the future, hopefully. Yeah. Don't drink, lady. Don't no, drink too don't much, do ladies. <laughs> don't do it. Don't um, do drugs. <laughs> don't do drugs. Yeah. Um, but the other the other day, I was listening to the to my call the calm app and mm-hmm. one of the they always have like a little quote at the end mm-hmm. and it really stuck with me because it was one of one of the things I think like with anxiety disorders like for me I have OCD so I get really intrusive negative thoughts oh yeah like I'll, I'll just wake up and I'll that I don't even it, even this morning it was like I woke up unfortunately my grandfather passed away yesterday morning mm-hmm. I had just gotten back from a long trip so like obviously I know that I'm not in a good headspace and that was one thing that I think you learn through mindfulness is like being aware of what's going on in your life. So like, it's okay for me to be sad Mm -hmm. right now. You know, it's okay for me to not be in a great headspace. And I recognize that. And then I'm allowed to be Mm self-compassionate. Like, you know what, if you're kind of in a bad mood today, if you're kind of wanting to isolate, it's okay. You're allowed to do those things. Yes. But waking up this morning, you know, I had some weird dreams. I'm all of a sudden in this weird headspace where I'm like thinking about like, I'm going to be on my medication forever and I'm never going to be able to get off of it. And, and I'm never going to be able to find a job because I got furloughed and just every negative thing, Mm -hmm. you know, that could possibly come to mind does. And I'm just laying there. I had to take a deep breath and just take this quote. And it was just, I'll I'll have to find it. I'll have to send it to you. But in in layman's terms, it just said, you are not your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You are the person observing your thoughts. Yes. And I was like, okay, shit, like bring that, I have to, I have to listen to it again and again and again. And remember, you know, like it's so, you know, kind of deep, like, mm-hmm. but it, you know, when you think, who am I? I'm this crazy person or I'm this negative person. I'm this, you know, fucked up addict, whatever you read these negative labels we give ourselves, but it's like, you can change all of that. Like you are not any of that. You're not, you are someone who has a substance abuse disorder. Just, you can recover from that, you know? You are somebody who has anxiety. You are not anxiety. Yes, 100%. Like we, are, we are having these things. We are going through them, but they are not what we are. Yes, 100%. And that's a huge thing that I deal with too, especially when it comes to kind of regret or remorse of things from the past because, like, I'm definitely no saint. Um, <laughs> and nope. uh, Yeah, so that was a huge thing that I kind of had to learn too in early recovery was just, like, to be able to sit with the things that I've done in the past and be like, those are not, that's not who I am. That's what I've done. Um, because I think a lot of people kind of get those mixed up in terms of like when Nate Brown talks about the difference between guilt and shame where guilt says I did something bad and shame says I am bad. And so yeah. just to be able to kind of, like you said, be able to sit with it, be like, okay, I've done some, not some great things, um, but I can practice self-compassion I can say, hey, I did these things at a point where it was in my, in that time, I thought that was what was necessary to survive. Stuff like that. Just be able to be like, hey, man, like, you are still in this body. Yes, but you are in this body in this moment. And of course, like, it is a million times easier said than done. But like you said, like, just even tiny quotes that just remind you to give you affirmations stuff like that it's it goes a long way especially when you do have those intrusive thoughts yeah I mean for for me I remember when I was like a year and a half sober and I I was doing AA at the time mm-hmm. but I was kind of I was kind of thinking about leaving the program I just I didn't feel like I was moving forward 
in my recovery at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was challenged by a perception. I, I was debating with somebody that I was dating at the time about whether alcoholism was a disease or not. And, you know, I think a huge part of why I wasn't able to move forward with a lot of my recovery and my healing was because I hadn't fully taken ownership for like a lot of the shitty things that I'd done. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to sit and admit like I'm a bad person mm-hmm. and, and most people aren't bad people. Like I don't think people are born bad or evil. You know, I think it's very old school thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think of things from like uh, diathesis synthesis mm-hmm. model that kind of you know it's behavior it's nature and nurture everything comes from a combination of both and like a big thing that like you said between guilt and shame for me it's like I was a pet parent when I was drinking and I was a shitty pet parent like mm-hmm. I stayed out late and didn't let my dog out like I did not teach him how to get potty trained very well I just and thank god I had a roommate at the time mm-hmm. but when I, when I went to rehab my parents took my dog and they still have him and for me, it's like, I look at that and there is still a lot of guilt and shame. And just how can I, you know, this creature that I, I, I just saw him when I was visiting my parents and it's like, I see him for the first time, you know, in a year and it's like, I never left and he sleeps with me and there's just so much unconditional love. And, and that makes me feel like shit. Cause I'm like, wow. Like I was so, I was, I was so self-centered in that phase of my life, mm-hmm. but then taking ownership of that and being like you know what like that was who I who I was mm-hmm. but today today I choose to be somebody different mm-hmm. today I choose to wake up early and take him for a long walk today I choose to be present with my family and do what's best for the animal which was to not keep him you know and and doing things that you know you can't make up always for for when you're hurting people but change behavior that's the best apology Absolutely. And so, you know, and I found that taking ownership for that, for hurting, you know, my animal, for hurting people in my life, I, w- I was able to heal a lot quicker and move forward, knowing that, you know what, I'm going to be a different person and I'm, this is never going to happen again. Yes. You know, and that gave me the strength to move forward in my recovery and to not drink and to work on my mental health and not just sit in that, you know, self-pity and that self-loathing because, you know, you're not, you, you're not going to have the opportunity to positively impact other people. You're just, you don't want to be just, you know, this neutral entity who mm-hmm. has caused pain in the past. Like you can make up for it in, in a universal way. Yes. A hundred percent. And there was a quote, I'm such a sucker for quotes if you can't tell totally. me, but uh-huh. it was, I'm probably totally paraphrasing it but it was basically something along lines of um heal yourself so you don't bleed on other people who didn't cut you Um, yes which is such a powerful testament where it's just like hey maybe there are people that I wronged when I was drinking that maybe they don't want to have anything to do with me and that's okay that's their choice you know I can't beg them back but I can't take that hurt and pain and project it onto new people in my life like I think that's a huge thing is a lot of people really think like in terms of making amendments or whatever, you know, whatever you're into is, oh, I need to have everyone forgive me and then I'll be recovered. It's like, no, what you do um, is you don't allow those past experiences to shape or to like form resentments towards future relationships that haven't even met you yet, (laughs) which is exactly. Yeah. So that's a huge thing for me too, that I'm learning is like to be very 
um, wary, I guess, of how my presence affects others. And obviously I can't control how they perceive me, but I can um, control how I act and I uh, speak to them. Yeah. And you're, you wake up every day and you get to decide who you are. And that's like pretty fucking rad. <laughs> yes. As you love just, that. And just, with a hangover either, which is also nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hangover free. Like, hell yeah. And I, I, I get emotional hangovers. Like, I won't lie. Oh, yeah. And that happens a lot in sobriety. Like, nothing's going to be perfect. You know, I, I don't think any of us, especially if you suffer with mental health issues, like, you're going to have bad days. Like, and this is something that I, I work through with my boyfriend who I've known for about 10 years. So, you know, we went to the same college. He, he was around when I, you know, at my darkest moments, he's actually had to call the cops on me before, awesome. you yeah. know, <laughs> and, now, and now we've been dating for about eight months. So it's like, here's somebody who's seen every single aspect of me as low as you can go and as high as you can go. And it, it's a perfect example of like, people are going to love you, you know, like even at, even at your darkest points. And it, it's okay if some people cannot forgive. And I almost take that as like that, is my foundational motivation for those because there are those people in my life too who I try to make an amends to and it was not received mm-hmm. and that that is almost if I ever have a feeling like oh maybe I should drink or like maybe I could or anything like those people who don't talk to me they're they are the first thing that I think of like you know what like what would that person who I hurt so badly think of like me, me staying sober and me being in recovery and bettering myself, that's, that's my kind of apology to them. Absolutely. You know, like, I'm not going to ever hurt anybody else the way that I hurt you. This mm-hmm. is how I'm going to do that. And so it's like, maybe other people can kind of find motivation through that. If you really hurt somebody, the best apology is that change behavior and to keep working on yourself and, and showing them, you know what, I'm so sorry for everything I've done to you. But the only thing that I can give you is a promise that it will never happen to anybody else again. A hundred percent. And that's so powerful, dude. Like, I think so many people, myself included, like I was very much um, kind of raised with this whole, like, oh, you got to be a good girl. Like you got to be, you know, I was <laughs> very a huge goody two shoes. So one of yeah. the biggest like fears of mine was letting people down and disappointing people and like just like making people mad, you know, stepping on toes. And I think for a really long time, I, when I was drinking, I didn't really see it as it was affecting anyone else. I was like, okay, well, I'm the one getting in trouble. I'm the one that's blacking out, whatever, but like, it's just me. But then I realized very quickly that I was having a lot of friendships tested. A lot of my friends were sick of, you know, carrying me out of the bar or just whatever. And once you kind of take that into consideration of um, all this kind of just having almost a ripple effect, I think Mm -hmm. that's a very powerful shift in thinking, okay, like if I don't personally see it as a problem for myself, let me like get the feedback from people I love. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of not falter per se, but like they want to isolate just because I know that I, I isolated so much when I drank, um, kind of like in the later days, just because I thought, okay, well, if I'm the one, you know, alone in the house getting drunk, then I'm not affecting anyone and therefore it's okay. (laughs) So exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's a very tricky road and obviously everyone's journey is different, but it's, it's very powerful once you actually start to do the work. 
Yeah. And I, I think people have to remember too, like, you know, you, you do end up staying sober for yourself, but mm-hmm. it's okay if that's not what, you know, kicks, kicks you, kicks you, I guess, into gear. Yes. You know, your, your motivator to get sober doesn't have to be your motivator to stay sober. Mm-hmm. And even if you in your heart think, you know, maybe I don't have a problem or, you know, I know for myself, it was, you know, I, I made up all these rules and even, even by the time I ended up in treatment, it still hadn't really resonated with me that I had a real problem. It was more of like, well, I just really like to party and I know it gets out of hand because I take meds and, you know, but I'm just going to, you know, appease everybody by going to treatment mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. Yeah. And, <laughs> just get everyone off your back. And, <laughs> exactly. And it, I never really thought, because it, exactly the, the whole point, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm self-harming. I'm doing this to myself and punishing myself. Nobody else is affected. And then when you, even, you know, in treatment, even if you're, even if you're there and you don't really want to be there, the, the seed is still planted. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, really seeing other people, I think, especially too, and their families at like family therapy or talking with my boyfriend at the time on the phone and realizing, wow, I really am affecting other people. Like, keeping my parents up late at night on the phone because they're waiting for the police to call them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my little brother has been traumatized at like a football game at the high school because I'm getting arrested in front of all his friends, you know, and, and just, and I'm not even thinking, you know, I'm just thinking, Oh, poor me. I'm embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And my mom, and my mom works at the high school too. So it's like, I, you have these moments where you're like, you're able to empathize with other people. And I would say like, hold on to those because it's, it's really hard not to be self-centered when you're in your addiction. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to cope with what's going on inside of you. And it's really hard to care about other people when Mm -hmm. you can't even care about yourself or love yourself. Mm -hmm. But, but a huge motivator to stop can be like, and as painful as it is to think about everybody else whose lives are being affected by your drinking and let that be the kind of match to start your sobriety. And then just, you know, wherever it takes you is where it takes you. Mm-hmm. But I think some people don't get sober or they kind of wait because they think like, oh, well, I have to wait until I really want it for myself. And it's like, you can come to that once you're already, you know, starting on that journey. Yeah. But 100%. you also don't want to burn all your bridges. It's hard. It really is. And it's such a tricky balance. And oh my gosh, like the, where you said that your parents wait for the call of cops to come. Like I actually had a talk with my mom. I think this is like a year and a half ago or something, but I remember it was obviously I was sober, but I called her like on a Friday night or something. And she said, oh my gosh, I had a heart attack when you called me. And I was like, why? Uh She's like, well, I'm so used to, I've been so conditioned to think when I get a call on a weekend night, that something bad happened to you. Yeah. And like, I didn't even like that, that hit me in the gut, dude. Like, I was just like, Oh my God, like this, like even, you know, X amount of time Mm -hmm. later, like it still has wounds for the people you love. And like, obviously I don't want to get like super Debbie downer, but like, that's something we really need to like take into consideration is, you know, we need to be patient with the people around us. Like, just because we get sober doesn't mean that they're going to heal just as quickly as we did from what we did to them. Exactly. Yeah, that was a huge thing for me was just like, 
learning that everyone heals at their own pace and to not kind of get that sense of entitlement of just like, okay, well, I got sober. So therefore you should respect me and like everything can go back to normal. It's like, no, (laughs) like depending on the severity of what happened. Like I have friends um, who went to treatment with me, like even now they might be a few years sober, but they're still like just now getting back in touch with their families. Like it's such a nuanced um, rippling effect. And I think that the more that we're able to kind of acknowledge like, Hey, um, just because you got sober doesn't, that's not the finish line. Like this is just the start of a race. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's what I always, I, I feel like I, I end up saying that to people who, you know, direct message the 1000 hours dry count and they're asking, you know, people who are sober curious or asking about the challenge. And it's, it's like, you know what? Like you have to be real, like not drinking. That's like calling the Uber. Mm-hmm. That's just you, like you called the Uber like now you have to get in the Uber and take the Uber to the destination. That's like the work, the cognitive behavioral therapy, that's reading the self-help books. Mm-hmm. That's learning mindfulness, meditating, you know, mm-hmm. cutting out toxic people in your life, taking care of yourself. That means eating better, exercising, sleeping, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, oh, just the list is endless and it seems so overwhelming, but I feel like cutting out drinking creates this like habit stacking to where it's like, it automatically leads to healthier decisions and it's like a ripple effect. Oh, hundred percent. And yeah, I just say something too. I'm like getting sober, obviously like is a huge accomplishment. Like that <laughs> deserves a freaking yes. medal. But at the same time, I think I wrote about this like a few weeks ago where I was like, it wasn't the answer. It was, it just cleared the water, cleared murky water. So I could actually look yes. at my shit and be like, okay, what do I need to do? Because I've done that a few times where like in my early recovery, I would just quit drinking and be like, okay, I can live my life now how it was like literally thinking, okay, everything's going to just solve itself kind of as a message, like magic, magic wand. But it wasn't until I realized like, okay, yeah, you got sober, which is fantastic. But now what? Like now the work begins and that can be so intimidating. I know. Like I'm sure some newcomers are listening like, oh my God, I just got fucking sober, dude. What else do you Yeah, right. Right. (laughs) Like we're not trying to like. I'm a terrible person. But I think it's a beautiful process. Like obviously it's, painful and discomforting and all that jazz but at the same time it is like like I said at the beginning like I first and foremost identify myself as a woman recovery because without that I would have 100% never have the marriage I have today the hobbies I have today the outlook I have today and it's it's a journey dude yes a long one a very lifelong one (laughs) yes lifelong but it and especially nowadays I mean look look at the time that we're in. I mean, the world is literally changing in every aspect it could possible. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a civil rights movement. Uh We are in the middle of not only sobriety trending, the American Cancer Society has finally, you know, not just telling people to moderately drink, they're telling you avoid alcohol altogether. Uh We have airlines banning alcohol on flights. Like, shit's happening. I love it. <laughs> like, you know, but this this is the time like if if you're if you're questioning your sobriety or if you're sober curious or or for the health of it for for whatever reason you've come and found yourself listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. it's like this is this is the beginning of something big. And yes. you know, we're lucky enough to be living in this time where it's becoming I don't even want to say acceptable, but it's becoming more normalized. It's becoming more, uh, People are I think, just waking up. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like people are waking up to the fact that alcohol is not good for anybody, period. Yeah. And I think it's like, I always um, attribute it to like, it's very common when you say like, oh, smoking cigarettes, like how, you know, advertisers in the 60s, 70s, Mad Men days, they, you know, doing all this stuff and we look back and think, oh my God, like how could anyone ever buy into that? And I feel like people a few decades from now are going to look at all these alcohol ads and all these campaigns be like, y'all really liked alcohol. <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. And it's something that like, I've talked to a ton of my friends and they still drink, but I've kind of opened their eyes to be like, oh, wow, alcohol really is like, like put on a pedestal. And the fact that, you know, even I told my friend, I was like, hey, like, I remember in college when I was a designated driver, I'd literally have to like go to the kitchen sink and get tap water and put in a solo red cup because we had literally no other options. Just stuff like that where you're just like, wow, (laughs) if you're not drinking, like, it's it's very eye-opening to how much it's glorified and so I'm just so grateful that they're able to finally bring awareness and obviously people are going to you know push back because you know old beliefs are challenged then like the world explodes but it is so necessary and even if you know it takes a few more decades or Maybe it'll exponentially go because of the rate of everything that's happening. I don't know, but I'm very, very hopeful. Yeah, and I think I'm excited to be on this side of it. You know, we could have easily been still drinking, still partying, still kind of blind to what's going on. And especially when the world is literally our our social, it's on fire, basically. But, (laughs) you know to be able to look back and tell our future children or our grandchildren that like we went through this time with a completely sober mind cognition. We were able to protest if we wanted to, we were able to call governors if we needed to, you know, we were able to be present and be mindful and social distance and not be ignorant and get drunk and go out and not care about other people's lives. You know, we, we were able to be present through this and survive it and thrive in it. Absolutely. And it's so crazy because I even remember um, when something similar happened to this, I think it was 2014, the whole Ferguson thing. So that's like when the first, that whole thing happened. I remember I was such at a rock bottom that I barely even was conscious of what was going on. And obviously like there's a whole layers to that, but at the same time I was thinking like now um, I even told my husband this, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, can you even imagine like how little I would have been able to get done if I was just focusing on like a vicious cycle of being hungover, regarding doing damage control, waiting till next happy hour. Like that was my life. Like literally my whole life was just a cycle of damage control. And to be able to have that bullshit cleared away and to be like, okay, what can I do now to show up for the rest of the world when it needs me the most is so empowering. Like that's, I always say like sobriety is, you know, an empowering choice. It's not a punishment. And I think now more than ever, obviously, you know, if you're early sobriety, it's going to be a huge battle, you know, depending on what you're dealing with. But when you're able to just be able to wake up clear mind and be like, okay, like all of the drama or whatever, like that just is, you know, second fiddle to the real important stuff that's going on right now especially as sober, you know, influencers as, you know, tacky or whatever is we want to call that, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, you are a, uh, a pillar in our community. And even though, you know, I don't have 
my personal account anymore. Like I'm, I'm still, you know, the founder of, of a, a community in itself. And it's, we, mm-hmm. I, I feel not only an obligation, but, you know, to be of service to our community. And that's not possible if we're not sober, you know, mm-hmm. we can't. And I, and I tell that to people, you know, even if you have two days sober, you have something to offer somebody who has one day sober, you know, you have, you have a platform and like right now we have a platform we have, and we can, we can not only like inform people of what's going on in the sober community, but we can use that platform to inform people what's going on in the world, you know? So this is a time to speak up in general and not that, you know, the sober community doesn't matter because, you know, we are infinitely not really taken seriously or really considered, like you said, when it comes to drinks at bars or really, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really considers people who are sober, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're working on that. <laughs> we're exactly, we're, we're working on that. And it's like one of those things, if, if we're not going to do it, who who is and mm-hmm. sure there's there's plenty of amazing sober influencers and we know a lot of them personally but it, it takes a village oh 100%. you know we can't all we can't all just rely on one or two people to take a stand like you know even these huge social and these huge civil movements that are happening like they did not happen overnight this has been years and years and years of built up oppression and mm-hmm. anger and mistreatment and and I'm in no way comparing you know being sober to being a person of color because it's a completely different you know life and mm-hmm. and and what we're talking about but in the way that black lives matter as a social movement as a sobriety now is the time that people are waking up to all the injustices in the world and like I told somebody the other day I was like we're fighting the same the same government and the same society that kills people of color for just being people of color is the same society that profits trillions of dollars every year by poisoning their own fucking citizens. 88,000 about Americans a year, mm-hmm. you know, die of alcohol related deaths. And it's like, we're fighting the same fucking people. Yeah. So this is the time to unite. And this is the time to wake up and be like, you know what? If nobody else is looking out for us, we have to look out for ourselves and each other. 100%. And I also have been very um, vocal about the whole, you know, active recovery is political. Like, there's been so much pushback in terms of people. Like, I remember, I think it was a few weeks ago, I posted finally about something and had all these comments that were like, I thought this was a recovery page, you know, I didn't go for this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, like, first of all... (laughs) Trolls. Oh gosh, it was so frustrating, but it also opened my eyes even more because I was like, oh wow, people really don't get like the war on drugs, how people yeah. are being locked up, how people of color are being locked up just for selling weed, all this yeah. stuff. Like recovery is so political just because it operates in the same institutions like rehabs, Everything. jail centers, law enforcement, all that stuff. So I mean, it's it's a really great opportunity to kind of be intersectional about it because you can advocate for Black Lives Matter in the recovery movement as well. Because exactly. there's so many times where like I've heard of something happen and someone goes to jail, but another person goes to rehab. It's like you really yeah. need to, you know, that's not a coincidence. Like no, there's so much. Not at all. It's so nuanced and 
it's it's if anyone's listening and they have the like capacity to research more about recovery and how it's um relevant in the black lives matter movement i highly highly suggest uh researching it just because it is so like you'll see how it's relevant like whenever i get those comments of you know this is supposed to be recovery i'm like yeah you're you're right we're all people (laughs) dum-dums yeah it's the same people and i get it and i hate to like you know single out 12 step people but I think that's where a lot of it comes from because I get it the whole foundation of addiction you know doesn't have eyes it doesn't see race it doesn't see age or color or ethnicity and that's true I think addiction targets people in general it it targets the human race but the way that recovery and treatment is not you know that for sure has eyes yeah so yes that's where people I think are getting a little confused Mm -hmm. and this is where we can speak up especially as white women Mm -hmm. I've been arrested for assaulting people and I never went to jail I've never been arrested period (laughs) exactly yeah like like, just this shit I've done I should have for sure been in jail for way like I've done like drunk takes but like mm -hmm. I for sure should have been in jail and said yeah I got I got sent to rehab on you know court mandated and got community service and I got anger management and had I been a person of color, especially a male, I imagine I would have been in jail quickly. Yeah. I was in fucking Virginia. So like, of course, <laughs> you know, but it's just, yeah, if, if, if you, if you don't see that, then I, I, I completely, I agree with Rachel. You, you need to wake up, <laughs> do, do, do some research because this is our job, you know, as, as, as people in the recovery community, we need to protect our own people. Mm-hmm. And that includes people of color mm-hmm. and black lives. So oh, that's, yeah. that's it. But point, point blank. <laughs> I mean, this point, like point blank period. That's it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And thankfully there have been some amazing people in 12 steps too, that have um, spoken up. Cause like, it's, I feel like it's just, Oh, it's such a shit show. <laughs> that's all I can really say. It it's, is. It's I'm, I'm, I'm definitely like, having a lot of messages with people from all recovery paths and thankfully like a lot of people are on the same page in terms of hey yeah like this just goes beyond whether or not you're being sober or not like this this is bigger than us and we like like the sober slash recovery movement thrives in community like that's literally Mm -hmm. the they always say the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety it's connection and so Yes. If we aren't looking out for our brothers and sisters, then what's the point? <laughs> exactly. So I think in summation, yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's all connected. Like, and this, this is our job. If, if you're listening and if you're sober, then you have a responsibility to our community. That, that is one thing I think everybody in sobriety can agree on is we're a foundation built on being of service. Mm-hmm. So it is your duty as a sober person to be of service. Whatever to our that may look like. You don't have to exactly. save the world. Like you just have to at the very least educate yourself. Like <laughs> the bar is more. <laughs> exactly. Be be one less person who says, I don't care about what's going on, or I'm only concerned about what's going on in my life. You know, just be, you can change (laughs) yeah you can change the world by changing yourself that's all you Mm -hmm. have to do yes if enough people do that the uh, the world will automatically change like Mm -hmm. by proxy Mm -hmm. so I mean I think 
us meeting and you being a part of 1000 hours has been an amazing journey and watching you grow as a mental health advocate and as a sobriety advocate and just I'm I'm so excited to see you know what the future holds for our community online and just our community in the world mm-hmm. it's a pretty exciting time to live in hell yeah girl I'm stoked so, I know right so Rachel thank you so much for being on the dry life podcast why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you Absolutely. So um, main uh, channel, I guess, is Instagram at Shots to Shakes. And I'm also open to emails if me- if may- maybe that was not even a sense, whatever. <laughs> you can reach me at Shots to Shakes at gmail.com. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Rachel. Of course. My pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. And thank you so much to everybody who came out and listened today. We hope you have an amazing day and stay tuned for our podcast next week.